Your Bibles, if you will, to 1 John chapter 2 this morning. 1 John chapter 2 as we continue our study. And uh, thank you for that song. What a blessing. It's a uh, blessing to be able to come to the Word of God, study the Word of God, have our lives changed, and be a fit vessel for Him to use. Amen? And uh, we praise the Lord for that. As we continue, we uh, saw last week the love that we ought to have one for another, the love of God that uh, should flow through us as uh, vessels that He can use and really as conduits of His love, uh, that the love of God is flowing through us and uh, to the world that is all around us and uh, even to other believers and things of that nature. And we saw that last week. Now this week we'll move forward to the next uh, three verses here in chapter 2 and we're going to see that we get to be a part of a family. Aren't you glad we get to be a part of something more than an organization? Uh, there are a lot of organizations out there you can be a part of. Uh, most of us uh, in this room have either been a part or are currently a part of an organization in the sense of employment. And uh, we have either worked for someone or working for someone, uh, but there's some kind of an organization there uh, that has taken place at some point in life that we have known what that is. Uh, we've probably been a part of an organization somewhere else. And we find in an organization, most of the time we end up being basically a number. And uh, some of that is not necessarily all bad. It's just part of tracking. It's part of figuring it out. Uh, but it's not the same thing as a family. When we go home and we get back around our family, what a joy to have a family to belong to, not just an organization to work in. Amen? And the reality of it this morning is that we're going to see that uh, when we come to church and when we're a part of the family of God and when we are gathered together, when we are laboring together, when we are uh, growing together in Christ and all these things, it's not uh, this place and uh, each other. We're not just an organization that we kind of show up and do our duty, but really in a very literal sense. And probably most of us know the, uh, the wording of the family of God, uh, perhaps have even studied this passage on it before, but uh, what a joy this morning to be able to stop and just look at a passage where John explains to a church that the family of God is a place that is designed for them, a place that has roles for them to fill, just like any other family, and uh, really defines what those roles are. And we're going to look this morning at what are the roles and what are the ways that God wants us to be involved and be a part of his family. And what a joy to be able to be involved. If you have your place there, uh, 1 John chapter 2, or as you're finding it, we stand with me? And we'll read just three verses this morning. 1 John chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse number 12, and we're going to read down through verse number 14. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse number 12, it says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write, to you, I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Father, I pray that you would speak to us from your word today. And Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would be able to take the words of Scripture and apply them to the hearts of your people. And Lord, that you would move in a mighty and a powerful way. I pray that you would speak through me. I pray that anything you want said, you would put into my mind. Anything that you don't, that I have planned, that you would remove from my mind. And Lord, that it would truly just be you speaking through your servant, but that you'd help me to be out of the way. It wouldn't be the words of a man, but that it would be God just speaking to your people and applying your word to their hearts. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
I wonder if somebody were to come to you uh, this morning and say to you, what is the role that God has for you at this stage of life, at this stage of your Christian uh, walk, at this stage of your growth? What is the role that God has for you in the family of God? What would you say? What would be the role? What would be uh, the place? Not necessarily the job, not the duty, but what would the role as far as a family relationship be that God has designed for you at your current place of growth in the Christian life, in your walk with him? You know, really, that's uh, something we probably don't think about very often. I don't know that I've ever really uh, heard that question quite uh, uh, looked at or uh, examined. And the reality is, as I was studying this week, I said, wow, this is incredible in this passage, how God takes these roles and he defines them. And they are defined here really by where we are in our walk with Christ. And so this morning, uh, the goal is that we'll see, all right, there's the role that I need to have. So question number one is, or thought number one, if we don't know the role, we're going to have a hard time filling that role or participating in that role. That's the first thing. And then secondly, if we do know the role that we have, are you fulfilling it? Are you being who and what God wants you to be within his family uh, at this particular moment? I think about uh, being the family of God. It brings back to mind uh, that old song. Maybe you know it. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And how many of you know that song? Yeah, I love that song. Uh, if you know it, sing that chorus with me. I'm so glad I'm... Okay, no, sing it with me. That doesn't mean just like mouth it. Sing it with me. You don't want to just hear me. Here we go. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood, joint heirs with Jesus as I travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family of God. I like that chorus or that verse that says, You will notice we say brother and sister around here. That's because we're a family and these folks are so dear. When one has a heartache, we all share a tear and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. Aren't you glad we get to be a part of that family? We get to labor together. We ache sometimes together. We've gone through things in these last few months even, just, uh, just since March, as uh, we've gone through some turbulent times, and some of you have carried some weights and some challenges, and uh, some things have hit people in our church that uh, we have uh, gone through together in many senses, and many of us have shed a tear on behalf of somebody else and the struggle they're in the middle of and the problem they're in the trial, uh, the trial that they're in the midst of. And, and we've, we've struggled together through some of those things and we've cried together and we've shared tears together. And then there's other times where the victories come and we're happy and we're rejoicing. And uh, sometimes it's an amazing thing as a pastor. You get to know uh, both sides of that sometimes. And there's days where uh, at one point in the day you're crying with one church family and then uh, uh, just a little while later you're rejoicing with another family in the church 
church and, and you get to really be a part of uh, all these things. And probably some of you have had some days like that with one another and something happens and you're crying with this one and then you're rejoicing with that one. We, we rejoice together in the good things and we weep together in the hard times. And, and it really is truly a family. And I'm so glad we get to be a part of the family of God. I'm glad that the church is not just a building. I'm glad the church is not designed to be an organization. Rather, it's designed to be a living organism. Uh, that which is changing, that which is growing, that which is maturing, uh, that which is in a constant state of adjustment because it can't change if that's not the case and, uh, or it can't grow if that's not the case. A growing church is always in transition and there's always things that are happening. I say all the time uh, that you know there are, uh, there are growing problems and there's shrinking problems. But I like growing problems a lot better. Amen? And uh, we want to uh, be growing. And, and sometimes that causes us to adjust something here, adjust something there. But those aren't bad things. They're just part of being a part of a family. And just like a family, as it grows together and as it uh, changes, there's adjustments that get made. Uh, probably most of you who have teenagers do not have the exact same schedule to life that you had before you had children. <laughs> it changes. Amen? And you don't have the exact same schedule you did when they're young. And some of you, you've been there. You've had them when they were young. You've been where you didn't have any. And you had them when you were, they were young. And you've had them when they were teenagers. And now they're gone. And you're free. And you can enjoy life again. Amen? But uh, no, not really. But, uh, but you know what it is to be at those different stages. And to go through some of those adjustments and those changes. And, and all those things that take place in life. And the reality is, as a church, it's the same thing. As a church, we're constantly changing and we're growing, hopefully growing in Christ. And uh, we're changing and we're becoming uh, more and more mature, excuse me, mature in Him and closer to one another. And those relationships are real and they're vibrant. And we look at it and we say, all right, Lord, uh, how is it that we need to participate in this thing that you've called the family of God? And this morning, I want you to notice with me uh, the structure and the plans that God has made for those who are a part of his family. First of all, I see the relationships in the family. Verse number 12 tells us about these relationships. Uh, John says here, as he's writing to this church, I write unto you little children. And, and you kind of wonder, John, why is it that you're going to refer to each of these more than once? And we'll see that as we go. But this wording, little children, uh, it, it speaks to a close family. That's really the idea. The relationships in the family, first of all, are close. It's a close family. Uh, this wording, little children, it literally means dear ones. And so John is not writing, as he gives this wording, little children, he's not speaking to age, and he's not speaking to maturity, spiritual maturity. He is speaking to the relational aspect of his love for these believers. And so as he writes to them, uh, he's really just saying uh, the, the wording, the translation is right, little children, but what it is, it's a term of endearment, like a father might speak to his son, and he might say, oh, my son, I love, I love you so much, and, and he might speak to that son in a manner that, that tells him how close that he is to the father. And so here this uh, fatherly figure in John, the apostle, now an old man, is writing to this church and he's saying to them, my dear ones, my little children. He's saying you're like little children in the faith. You're, you're the ones I love like a father loves his child. And, and I just want you to know the closeness of the relationship that is here. And, and so it really is just a term of endearment. This wording is different than verse number 13. 
Verse 13, it's a different word for the word little children. There it does refer to age. It does refer to maturity, primarily spiritual maturity here. But in verse number 12, different word, different Greek word, it is referring to the closeness of the family. And so I see here the relationships are, first of all, close. And then not only is it a close family, but it's a chosen family. Notice the basis of this family. We see it in verse number 12. I write unto you, little children, and here's the reason, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. This is the basis of the family. You realize nobody can be a part of the family who has not come by this manner, by this way. Nobody can be a part of the family of God except their sins have been forgiven them. And so as long as the sins have not been forgiven, as long as they have not been washed by the blood of the Lamb, as long as they have not been dealt with at the cross, then we are not a part of the family of God. There are a lot of politicians today uh, on both sides of the aisle that are saying things in their election campaigns like, everybody, every person is a child of God. That's not factually correct. The reality is that every person is not a child of God. Every person is a creation of God. Amen? He created us, and then he died on the cross so that we could be saved, and he offers eternal life. He offers the forgiveness of sin. But not everyone who's born is a child of God, but everybody who's born again at the cross. That means that their sins have been forgiven, and they've been dealt with fully by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, his shed blood on the cross of Calvary, that the Bible tells us has been sprinkled on the mercy seat of heaven, and it's just as alive and just as real today as it's ever been when that blood is applied. And thankfully, it's not an actual physical application, but if that's what it took to go to heaven, I'd take it. Amen? But it's not a physical application, but it's the fact of coming to him in a decision and receiving and turning to Jesus alone for salvation. And he says, when that happens, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ has been applied to your account, your sin account, and sin is washed away. If we've never had that, if our sin has never been forgiven, then we are not a part of the family of God. And maybe you're here today and you'd say, Pastor, when I hear it by that definition, I don't know if I'm a part of the family of God. I would like to be, I would like to have my sins forgiven. But if John says that that's the requirement, I don't know if there's ever been a time in my life that I'm positively sure that in that moment my sins were washed away. And let me encourage you, if that's the case today, the Bible says, now is the appointed time. Today is the day of salvation. Here's the reality. God is offering to you eternal life. And God is offering to you a place in his family to be adopted by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords into the family of God. He's allowing that. He's offering that. He's offering it this very morning. The question is not, can I go to heaven or can I have eternal life or can I be a part of the family of God? The question is, will you receive Jesus or will you reject him as your Savior? And that really is all that it boils down to, for he's already offered the forgiveness of sin to all people. You see, God has chosen, and God has chosen his family not on the basis of who we are, not on the basis of uh, the, the color of skin, not on the basis of uh, how worthy we are. He has chosen his family, and he has chosen to offer for everyone to be a part. But he says he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. And that's the requirement. 
the family has chosen, God has chosen you, the question is, will you choose him and receive his offer of forgiveness? We see here that it is a family that is close. It is a family that is chosen. God has chosen to offer that to you. He has chosen for you to be a part of his family if you'll simply receive his free gift of eternal life, of entrance into the family. So we see the relationships of the family. It's a close family. It's a chosen family. God desires you. Uh, God desires you to be in his family. Isn't that an incredible thing? And yet it's a reality that is explained in the scriptures. And so we see uh, the relationships. And then secondly, we see the roles of the family. Verse number 13, he's going to go into these three roles. And uh, he says, I write unto you fathers because you have known him that is from the beginning. So every child of God is a part of one family. We're not a part of multiple families. If you've been saved, if your sins have been forgiven you, then the Bible tells us you have been both born and adopted into the family of God. You've been born, that means you belong fully. Uh, you have been adopted, that means you have full uh, inheritance and you can never be disinherited. You have been born into, you've been adopted into the family of God. We are a part of one family. In that family, there is unity. In that family, there is equality. In that family, we come to the cross and we find that the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Uh, we don't come as somebody being a little bit better and somebody else really being bad. And sometimes the world uh, might look at it and say, oh, that person will be really hard for God to save. I mean, look how bad they are. But the fact is, Jesus has no trouble dealing with any sin. And the fact is he already died to wash away and deal with the sins of the whole world, the Bible tells us. In fact, we've just seen it here in 1 John a few uh, weeks ago. He is the propitiation or the substitute for our sin, but not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So he's already died to deal with all that sin. The blood of Jesus is not lacking power. And so when we come to the cross, it doesn't matter how good somebody might look or how bad somebody might look. The reality is, Jesus saves them equally. He saves them in the same manner. They must come humbled and recognizing themselves as a sinner. And then he willingly steps in when they receive him and saves them from their sin. Sin is forgiven. So there's equality in the family. There's unity in the family. And yet, there are necessarily degrees of progress or spirituality within the family. Within the, the life that is lived for Christ. In other words... We should not be exactly in the same place the day that we get saved and 25 years later. 25 years later, we should be a little different. We should have grown in our likeness to Christ than where we were the day that we got saved. Not One is not more saved. One is not more loved. One is not better and one worse, but there should be difference. Does that make sense? And so uh, in that then, and I think most of us would grasp that, so in that we're not saying there are better and worse in that sense of degree, uh, but there are those who are more mature and those who have learned less. And, and so that's really what John is dealing with as he writes this. He's going to write to three different groups. Now, all of these are in the masculine form. That does not uh, in any way cut out those of you who are female. Uh, what it means is he is defining these in three different areas of role, and each one by the uh, growth in Christ. So if you're a lady, then you would be in one of these three roles. But this would be the, moder uh, the manner of writing in the first century, and so that's why they would be defined in this way. Uh, in this verse, then, the apostle gives us these roles. Each is necessary. Each is equally loved. Not one is more loved by God. And each should be desired to be attained. 
In other words, you can't get to one of the next role without being in the role that you're currently in. So as we look at this verse, we want to look at it and say, all right, Lord, where am I? And then what's the next step I need to grow to to be in the next role that you would have for me to fulfill? And he's going to give us all of that here in this verse. As John then defines these roles, he has no view in mind of physical age of the reader. That's important to recognize. It has nothing to do with your physical age. Uh, it has to do with your spiritual maturity as a family member. Here's the reality. Somebody could be saved 25 years and still not be uh, any further along than they were the day they got saved if they have not grown in Christ. They might have more knowledge but they wouldn't be in the next role. Somebody else might have been saved a much shorter time, but because they have grown in Christ, in their walk, in their relationship with God, uh, then they would be past that first role. And so we'll see that as we go. And important to understand has nothing to do with physical age. It just has to do with spiritual maturity. So the first one we see here are the fathers. And as John writes to these people that he calls fathers, he's going to speak of the maturity of the fathers. So that's A, the maturity of the fathers. These are those who know the Father in an experiential way. So John writes to these. In verse number 13, he says, Write unto you, fathers, notice the reason, because you have known him. That is from the beginning. He's speaking of God the Father. You've known him. You remember, uh, I think it was last week, we looked and we had uh, that new, he said, no new commandment I write unto you. And we were talking about back to the beginning of the church age and Jesus had been the one to give that command and, and all those things. Well, this here, he's looking now back beyond and he's looking now back into eternity past. From the very beginning, from the time uh, when God himself sat and took counsel with himself to create the world. An incredible picture and, and certainly one we can never fully grasp. And here's what he's saying. The God of eternity past, the God of eternity future, the almighty God of the universe, you have known him. Oh, you haven't just heard about him. You have not just learned of him. But these fathers, these people, they are the spiritually mature. They are the ones who have known God. In other words, they're the ones who have walked uh, as it may be pictured through the sunny veil, and they have walked down through the meadows uh, and the good times of life and the enjoyable times, and they have been faithful to God in the good times, and they've seen the blessings of God, and they've known the joys of walking with God in those times. They've also been in the deep valleys. They've been in the dark shadows. They're the ones who have been through the depth of heartache and the depth of problem and the depth of the situations of life that so often will cause somebody to stop or cause them to turn back or cause them to go astray. And yet these people, they have walked through those low points. And they have found the closeness to God there to be even greater than in the, the clear. They've found it to be even greater than the sunshine. They've found the, the sorrow that they can fellowship with him in sorrows, as Paul talks about, and know the fellowship of his suffering. And they've walked through those times and those low points and those moments, and yet they've been faithful, and yet they've found God to be good in the hard times. And he's talking to these, and these would be those who have been saved for some time. 
These would be those that they have have not just learned facts and they have not just been through some battles, but they've walked for long periods of time and and for many years with God. And it would have a a view to that here. And they've walked for so long, they've experienced God in every different situation, the highs and the lows, the problems and the joys. They've experienced all of that and they know his faithfulness and they know what it is to walk with him through those times. And he writes to them and he says, I'm writing to you fathers, Because you've known him. Because of the relationship that you have with him. Because you have walked through all these things. And and at salvation, all that needs to be known is that someone's a sinner and that they need Christ to be their Savior and they're turning to him. But now they've been saved long enough. They don't just know that. Well, that's okay at the beginning. But by the time they're a father, they can say, you know what, it wasn't just that I knew of him. And it wasn't just that I saw my life changed by him. But now I've been in every situation and I know God intimately. Have you ever been with one of those people where when they start to pray, you can tell they're not really just talking to God, but they're talking to their best friend? I mean, there's just, there's a depth to it. There's something of it. Yes, they're talking to God, but there's just, there's a a relational aspect to the way that they speak to him. And through the years, they've drawn so close to him. And they've come to the place that there is a relationship that is deep and that's abiding. John writes to him and he says, I'm writing to you fathers because you have that. And the first role that he's going to give us here is the maturity of the fathers. And there are some in our church that you've been through those low points and you've been through some high points. You've been through all the situations of life, so to speak. Not every situation, but the different types of situation. And and you've been through them, and you've been faithful, and you've experienced God in those moments. And you know what it is to walk with Him, and you know what it is uh, to just uh, delight in His presence in a manner that, that you had no clue of in the beginning of salvation. But now, as you've walked for years after years after years, perhaps decade after decade, you know what it is to abide with him. John is going to write, and he's going to define the role a little bit further in a minute, but he's saying this is the first role. This is the one I'm writing to, those of you that have that. And I want you to understand, your time is not over. I want you to understand, there's a duty for you yet to do. I want you to understand that there is work to be done. And I want you to understand that that you are vital in the church. Uh, You have not just come to the time where uh, it's okay to sit off to the side and say, well, I'm kind of past the age of being able to really do much. Oh, no, no, you have an an absolutely vital role. In fact, the first role that he speaks to is this one, and he's lifting up the idea of how important this role is. There must be those who are the fathers. There must be those who have grown in Christ and walked with him through these years, and God agrees. And so he understands these things. Then secondly, he says this, not only the maturity of the fathers, but now he's going to speak to the might of the young men. Look at verse number 13 again in the middle. He says, I write unto you young men because you've overcome the wicked one. These are those who are on the front lines of the battle. The the fathers, they have been walking for decades. The young men are the ones, they, uh, they they have grown in Christ. 
They're not newly saved. They're not a novice. The idea here is there's great growth. In fact, they're in a place where they have uh, power with God and they can move forward into the battle. But they are not uh, where the fathers are. They're not at the place that it's okay for them to step off of the front lines of the battle. We'll see in a moment where that is to some extent. But rather, these are to be on the front lines. These are to be fighting the battle of spiritual warfare. These are the ones that are to be uh, making a difference in the sense of daily, uh, in-depth warfare. It is not expected that young children would stand here. You see, John's not writing to the young children and saying, "Uh, hey, little ones, hurry up, let's go, there's a battle to fight. It's not what he's going to say to them. He's going to talk to them in a minute. That's not what he's going to say to them. He's not saying to the fathers, hey, 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 don't slow down. Get back on the front line of the battle. Keep fighting. Because the fathers, they've fought their battles. They've seen him faithful in those battles. They may still have a few battles left. There are times when the statesman of a family is called upon to step into battle. But that's not their primary role anymore. They're now allowed to step back from the, the, the hottest places of the fray and the battle. They're allowed now to step back and just delight in the relationship they have with the Father that they have learned how to have on those front lines. So he writes to these young men and he says, young men, you're the ones who need to be on the front line." Young men, you're the ones who need to be fighting the battles. Young men, you're the ones who need to be out there warring for the cause of Christ. Young men, you're the ones who need to be making the difference on a daily and regular basis. You must stand in the heat of the fray. You must take the arrows and you must fight the battles and you must be in the midst of the warfare. The young men are expected by their Heavenly Father to stand on the line and fight the battle. You know, this is really one of the great things that we've lost in the church. I'm talking about good churches and our type of churches in the church in America today. We've really lost it. We've gotten to the place where a lot of young people have walked away from the things of God. They're certainly not standing on the front lines of the battle. And a lot of others are in a place where they should be on the front lines of the battle, and instead they're just sitting in the pew. But they're not fighting the daily warfare. They're not fighting the battle to move forward, the battle for souls. The young men of today oftentimes have no desire to commit. In fact, we find that today there are many who would rather commit to payments on a truck for the next 20 years than they would to commit to serving Christ for the next few days. I mean, the reality is we have a lack of commitment in many of our churches and in our circles, we have a lack of commitment to fighting the battle and standing the line. The, the, remember, uh, the reality is that God is looking for a man to make up the hedge, to stand in the gap before him for the land. I believe one of the reasons we're in the mess we are in the United States of America is because there haven't been enough young men standing on the line. There's too many gaps. Because really it begins with our churches, and our churches are the ones that are to be the pillar and the ground of the truth. The ground means it's solidified. That's the word of God. The pillar is what extends to that which supports. And the reality is the church is what's supposed to be the pillar that extends to support the society and the community so that it is founded and resting ultimately not on the church but on the word of God. We're just the pillar. We just extend the support so that it's founded here. And by the way, that's why America's been great because it's been founded on this book. And if you study an honest history, you'll find in a large part it's because of preachers, men that were in things like the Black Robe Regiment, who stood and fought uh, in a physical warfare for our freedom, but then they stood and they fought in a spiritual warfare to say, let's be established on the Word of God. 
many independent Baptists who gave their lives even in the beginning times of America to say, let's be founded on the word of God. Many who may not have had to give their lives, but they fought and they paid great prices to say, let's be the pillar of the truth. Yes, it's established here. Yes, it's established in the word of God. But as a church, as young men, we're to take it and say, let's take it into our community as a pillar to establish our community, our society back onto the word of God. And as we've lost that, we've lost our nation. We stand in a nation that if it is spared at all, it'll be only by the grace of God. There's nothing humanly that can be done. You say, Pastor, that sounds like doom and gloom. Oh, no, no. For the reality is God's in control of it all, and it's all going to change someday anyway. It's not bad. Uh, My pastor says all the time, cheer up. Things are going to get worse. (laughs) Aren't you glad it's not already there? I mean, we know as we get closer to the end, it's going to get worse, amen? So cheer up. Every time it gets a little worse, that means we're a little closer. We're okay. It's not doom and gloom, but it is reality. We have a responsibility. We have a duty. We have a job. And so we need young men that will say in our church, I'm willing to step up on that line. We have uh, young men of today have no desire often to commit because they're busy with life. And by the way, it's the battle we face. The battle of the young man, uh, and, and Paul's going to deal with this going forward, but the battle of, the, I'm sorry, John, but the battle of the young man is being busy with the things of this world. But remember what Jesus uh, talked about in that parable of that servant that was trusted with the talents, and he went and he hid them in the earth. One day the master came. He said, where, where are my talents? Why would you hide them? Why would you bury them in the earth? And the reality is, and and I just want to challenge those of us who are young men, younger than, you know, 60 or 70 years old, uh, is still to be on that line. We ought to still be laboring. And as long as God gives us the ability to stand on that line, maybe the line ought to be 80, I don't know. But we ought to be standing, and we ought to be fighting, and we ought to be laboring. I want to encourage you, don't get so busy with the temporal things of this life. Don't get busy making money. Don't get busy trying to be a success here because we can be a success here and one day stand before the God of heaven and he's going to say, why did you take the opportunities I gave you and bury them in the earth? That was worthless. It was useless. You wasted your life on temporal things. No, no, no. Let's invest in eternal things. Now is the time. Don't wait till the kids grow up. Don't wait until it gets easier. Do it now. Why? Because he writes to us specifically as young men, and he says, hey, young men, be involved in the battle. Young men, don't wait. Let me talk to the younger side of those young men. Uh, If you're that uh, 19 and you're in your 20s, 18, 19, you've graduated high school, you're in your 20s, don't wait until you start feeling like you're in the place to really walk by faith. Now is the time. Now is the time to stand the line. Now is the time to be one of the young men who's saying, I'm going to lead my family for God, and I'm going to take a stand in our church for God, and I'm going to take a stand in our community and at work, and and I'm just going to make a difference for the cause of Christ. I'm not here to try to fit in. I'm just here to try to follow the Word. And, And so really, I'm just going to take the Word of God, and I'm going to follow it along as I go, and I'm just going to be faithful to Him. That's what he's writing. He's writing to these young men and he's saying, hey, you're the ones who have to stand the line and you're the ones who have to fight the battle and you're the ones who need to be laboring together for the faith of the gospel, accomplishing the greatest work in all the world, which is winning the world with the gospel. That's what our job is. There's no greater job in the world. And we get to be a part of it. And John writes and he says, young men, you get to be the ones that are the spearhead in the front of the battle 
where the, the battle is the hottest, you get to stand there. Don't vacate your line. Don't vacate your spot or the battle will be lost. He writes to the older men, the older Christian. He writes to those who have been through all the trials and struggles and battles, the good times and the bad, and they've walked with God. And he says, hey, those of you that are fathers, those of you that have walked a long time with God, keep being faithful. He speaks to the maturity of the fathers. He speaks to the might of the young men. He says to them, hey, fight the battle now while you have the strength of your youth. Fight the battle now while you can keep going forward. Fight the battle now. Stand on the front lines of the battle. Then he's going to give a message to the little children. Excuse me, the little children. He says in verse number 13 at the end, I write unto you little children. Now this little children, he is speaking of spiritual maturity. He's speaking to that which would be a younger Christian. He says, I write unto you little children because you have known the Father. Here is their greatest need and John's great excitement. They can know the Father. Now the temptation of the little children. If you're a younger Christian today, you haven't been saved a a long time. You haven't been saved decades uh, or, or a decade. Or you haven't been saved even maybe five or six years. Let me encourage you, pay attention here. By the way, maybe you've been saved for decades. But if you haven't grown in Christ as you should and you're a little child, pay attention here. The temptation of little children is to say, the battle looks like fun. Let's go fight some battles. And that causes all kinds of problems. Because they're fighting a battle because it looks like fun. Here's what the young men have learned, and here's what the older have learned, or the the middle Christian, the one who still has some ability to go fight the battle, and the older Christian, they've learned the battles are not fun. The battles are not for delight. The battles are not so that we can have our opinion heard. The battles are not so that we can make a name for ourselves as a great warrior for God. The battles are just simply a place where we have to stand, where we have to be faithful, and where we have to keep going. The battles are part of it. But we don't fight the battles because we want the battles. If you're a younger Christian, look, don't look at it and say, oh, I can't wait till I can do that, or I can't wait till I can be there, I can't wait till I can fight that, and uh, man, I'm just, I, I need, my opinion needs to be heard, and I have these great ideas, and I have these, and you, you probably do, but pay attention, here's what John's saying to the younger believer, the one who hasn't been saved real long, he says, here's what you need to focus on, get to know the Father. I'm writing unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. So here's what he's saying. You started out in a place where you knew you were a sinner and you needed a Savior. That's wonderful. That's all you needed to know. You came to the cross. You got saved. That's all you had. Fine. No problem. That's actually where you need to be. Now here's what you need to do. Grow in your knowledge of him. See the difference? The Father has grown in his walk with him. The Father has walked through all the trials that life has brought and the good times that life has brought too. But that younger Christian, the little children, they have not yet walked through all those trials. So they're not going to learn him in that same manner as they will over decades of walking with him. So don't try to have that experience yet, but here's what you can do. Learn your Bible. Learn of the Father. Learn how to know him in a very real way. Learn the things of God. Learn who he is. Spend your time focusing on your relationship with him. The word fathers that he uses here, it's the word that an adult child would address their father by in this day. So here's the idea. Grow into a place where you're like an adult child. So you start out as just a child. The word uh, uh, little would be more the idea of infant. 
The word father is the word an adult child would use. So it kind of has both elements. There might be an infant. You're a brand new Christian. Good. Learn the things of God. Maybe you've been saved for just a little while and you're not yet ready in God's mind, God's eyes. He's the one who defines it. So God does not yet decide to put you in the middle of the battles, in the hottest places. That's okay. Just keep learning the Father. You say, well, I mean, I've been saved for like five years and, and I feel like I could do more. Oh, God will give the opportunities. But until he gives them, don't go try to make them happen until he gives them. Just keep learning of the Father and learning of the Father. And learning of the Father. And you know what will happen before long? You'll be in the heat of the battle and you won't even realize it. Because God will be using you in an incredible way because you've learned how to just know the Father. And now, without realizing it, you became one of the young men. You became one of those who's been saved and you're fighting and you're warring for the cause of Christ. And then you know what will happen? Somewhere you'll kind of realize, oh, God's been doing this. And then before long, you'll still be trying to fight the battle. And by the way, when you get to that next stage, don't look to be one of the fathers. Just keep fighting the battles and keep fighting the battles and keep fighting the battles. And what you'll find is God will, uh, in a sense, not, not make you keep fighting all the battles. He'll allow you to have some room to step back and just enjoy the relationship with him. So where are you this morning? Are you fulfilling the role in the family? And then we see the responsibilities of the family, and we're done. In verse number 14, we see a responsibility to receive. I've written unto you fathers, uh, or the little children here. Uh, he's telling them to know uh, the father. So this is the first one. It's the little children still in verse 13, but he's tying that now to verse 14. As he says, again, the exact same words I've written unto you fathers, because you've known him that is from the beginning, little children. If you're a younger Christian, the place to learn of the father is go find somebody who knows the father. Go find one of these fathers, go find somebody who's mature in Christ. And you know what they'll be able to do? They'll be able to say, Hey, go and study this place in scripture. Go study this thing and it'll really help you. And they'll be able to help you so you're not just, uh, and there's nothing wrong with just reading your Bible, but they'll be able to say when you come and you say to uh, somebody who's maybe become a mentor, they're one of the fathers, they're one of those older people who has been walking with God for generations or, or at least for a generation, for decades, and you go to them and you'll say, you know, I'm struggling in my family. How do I, uh, how do I help my children in this? We're struggling. We don't know exactly how to deal with this situation with our children. And that one who's walked with God and have been through those things will be able to say, well, you know, when I was going through that, let me show you what really helped me. Or, or that uh, older lady who's been walking with God for some time, some of you that are younger moms, you need a place where you can go and just say, hey, I'm, struggling. I'm discouraged. I, I just, I mean, you know, it's, it seems like I'm putting all I have into my children and it hasn't worked yet. I think every mom has days like that. So what do I do? Titus tells us in chapter 2, the place to go, it's to these ladies who fit into this role of fathers, the ones who have been walking with God a while. And you know what they'll be able to do? They'll be able to say, I remember when I was there. Take heart. Be encouraged. Let me show you some Bible verses that encouraged me when I was there. Let me help you walk through this time. And those fathers can look back and say, here's some of the pitfalls of life. Here's some of the places where I struggled. Let me help you avoid those. And so we see here there's a responsibility of the little children. There's a responsibility of the young Christian to receive. To receive instruction from the fathers. Those who can teach and train on how to know God. Then we see, secondly, the responsibility to remain. This is for fathers. Uh, he says to them the exact same words he said to them before. Why? Because how can you add on knowing the father in this kind of an intimate, real way? 
And so he says to him, look, this is what you have, is that you've walked with God. So there's steadfastness in view here. And John doesn't add anything to earlier. What he is saying is this, hey, those of you who have been walking with God for some decades now, and you know him experientially, and you've watched him work in your families and in your church, and you've seen the great miracles he can do, and and you know what it is to walk in the valleys, and you know what it is to be on the mountaintops, and you know how to be faithful through those things. Here's your role now. Invest back in those young men. Invest in those young men because they need to hear the great victories God's done in the past in the middle of the present warfare. And they need to know it's going to be okay. And they need to know when they get shaken a little bit, if they'll stand the line and if they'll hold the ground, if they'll keep moving forward and keep making a difference for Christ, that it really will work out okay. So encourage them. And then not only that, but invest in that next generation of Christian, those, those little children, the, the great uh, desire and delight of men uh, and, and women in the flesh who are older is their grandchildren. Amen? The reward for not killing your children is grandchildren. Praise the Lord. My dad said if he knew how good grandkids were, he'd have skipped kids. And uh, the reality is this. That becomes the delight of those who have grandchildren. Those, those kids do. And you know what needs to happen? Those of you who have been walking with God for some decades, you're the age to be grandparents or great-grandparents, you need to find some younger Christian that you can just delight in. Don't get frustrated with their spiritual childishness. They're little children. It's okay. They don't have to have it all figured out. They're not going to be consistent yet. So don't get frustrated with that. Just delight in them. Spend time with them. Help them to grow. The responsibility for the old men or the old women, the responsibility for the young is to receive. For those who are fathers is to remain. And then for the young men, it's the responsibility to run. God gives us here, and John gives to us, this is their job, is to run and make a difference for Christ. Verse 14 at the end. I've written unto you, young men, because you're strong. We see the power described. They have strength. They have a spiritual uh, strength to move forward. They have the energy of youth still. He says you're strong. It's described. Then we see it's derived, the power derived. The word of God abideth in you. Here's where it is. It's derived from the word of God. This is not just a a, a physical power, a physical force of energy or will. No, 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 it's derived from the Word of God. So it has to be the right power. It has to be God's power working in us. So it's the power described, the power derived uh, from the Word of God, and then the power displayed. You have overcome the wicked one. See, this power, when it is given, it will not be used to damage others in this room. It won't be used to damage another believer. And too often that's what happens because the power is a desire for self-promotion. But this power, when it's right, when it's derived from Scripture instead of selfish motives, it'll never hurt another Christian. It'll be used to overcome the wicked one. It'll be used to fight against the things of this world. How? By preaching the gospel and winning people to Christ. That's how we overcome the wicked one. Or one of the ways we overcome the wicked one. By standing steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of God. George Mueller was 27 when he moved to Bristol and opened his first orphanage. John Bunyan was 32 when he was jailed for preaching and wrote The Pilgrim's Progress. William Booth was 36 when he founded the Salvation Army and labored to win the outcasts of London's slums. William Carey was able to read the Bible in six different languages, known today as the father of modern missions. 
He could read the Bible in six different languages while he was still a teenager. And when he was 32, he went to India and launched what we know today as the modern era of mission work. David Brainerd was 25 when he set out to convert American Indians to Christ. He died four years later at 29. They said he burned so brightly he burned out in just four years. He is still remembered in the annals of church history as uh, one of God's choicest, most uh, productive servants. Just a few of the young men. The question this morning is this. Are you filling the role God has for you to fill? Young men, are you battling? Are you focused on the things of God? rather than the things of this world. Fathers, are you investing in the next generation? Are you content just having that depth of relationship with the Father and spending time with Him? Young, your little children, those who are more newly saved, are you growing in your knowledge of Jesus Christ? Are you growing in your knowledge of the Father? Learning to walk with Him as adult children so you can be ready to be the young men going into the fray of the battle. Are you moving to the next step and moving forward for Christ? Father, we love you. We thank you you are. We thank you for the opportunity today to be able to serve you. And Lord, we pray that you would give exactly what is needed this morning for each of our hearts. Help us to make the uh, decisions and changes that need to be made, if there are any. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.